Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets trading lower this morning, setting aside gains on Wall Street overnight. Ryan Huang joining me now to break down all the market action. What is new for you this Friday, Ryan? Happy Friday, Michelle. What's new? I'm looking forward to a long weekend, a super long one, because I won't be here next week. Oh, boy. All right. We're going to miss you, but standing in for you will be the dividend titan yes. himself. We'll chat more about him uh, with him next week. Now, for the first time in probably two weeks, we are not kicking off this morning's show with the banking crisis, interest rates, or the Fed. Don't worry, banking junkies. I'm still going to have some fresh headlines for you. But instead, we are starting off with Hindenburg Research. Remember them? They're the U.S. company whose scathing research report caused a massive sell-off in India's Adani Group, costing Adani companies more than $100 billion U.S. dollars at one point. Well, the Hindenburg Group has a new company in its sights. Who is it, Ryan? Yes, the short seller has decided to take on another billionaire. First Adani, next Jack Dorsey. Mm. So he's in the ring right now and he is fighting back against allegations from Hindenburg. And this is around his company, his payments company, Block. Of course, you might know Jack Dorsey as a co-founder of Twitter. He is now CEO of Block. And among the accusations is what Hindenburg says as part of a two-year investigation. They found that there has been a lot of lack in corporate governance in the form of how Block's cash app was likely to have helped many scammers take advantage of the US government's stimulus programs. So pretty much anyone could have signed up. And I think you've got Hindenburg doing a few examples. They signed up as Donald Trump and got a debit account debit card under Donald Trump's name and a bank account under his name. So that gives you an idea how easy it is to get an account under the cash app that belongs to Block. And of course, then you can apply for benefits, stimulus checks and whatnot. So that's part of the accusation how a lot of the processes and protocols were quite flimsy at Block. And among the various issues, they just feel there is potentially a lot of inflated numbers as well among them, the number of cash app users. So a lot of fraudulent and fake accounts is part of accusations. So that's all now weighing on Block's share price, down 15% overnight. Imagine that. So inflated user metrics at the heart of this short by the Hindenburg Group. Block, by the way, is the parent company of the fintech businesses Square and Cash App. Now, less than two months ago, Hindenburg Research accused the Adani Group of being, quote, the largest con in corporate history. And those accusations cost Gautam Adani his spot as Asia's richest man at the time he was the world's second richest man. Um, today he ranks 21st. What a fall from grace. So how much have these latest accusations by Hindenburg cost Jack Dorsey? Quite a pretty penny. $526 million. Ouch. That's near half a billion dollars. So you can imagine Jack Dorsey is quite a rich guy. So maybe he wouldn't lose much sleep over it. He likes giving away his money anyways. So he is still worth less. So he's now worth $4.4 billion after this drop. So it is painful, but he still has money. So he will be able to go about his day. But it is quite reflective how short sellers 
and how investors react to short story reports, that knee-jerk response, whether it's accurate or not, people run for the hills first, sell first and ask questions later. I wonder if this could have a knock-on effect on his shares in Twitter because Jack Dorsey does have a stake in Twitter valued at $388 million, where he's going to liquidate those anytime. Block has called Hindenburg's claims, quote, inaccurate and misleading. The charges have already cost Jack Dorsey, as you mentioned, more than half a billion dollars personally. What do you make of these allegations and how could this play out? Yeah, it's... Not something anyone or any company wants to go through, having to deal with short sellers because it just brings in more scrutiny. Mm -hmm. It makes people look at stuff that they typically don't look at. So even if it might not be true, they might find other stuff that would be worth complaining about. So it just brings a lot of scrutiny and distracts the company from day-to-day operations. So that's the thing here. But with short sellers, they do, I feel, provide a service to markets. Because they do a lot of investigative work and we've seen how in the past many companies have been surfaced for fraud because of short sellers. So it is a bit of a double-edged thing here. They do provide a service to wider markets and they also provide the market volatility to some extent that what market participants want. So it gives them the entry point, the exit point. It does make markets more exciting in that sense. And now let's turn to Washington, D.C., where the Singaporean CEO of TikTok faced five hours of grilling overnight from U.S. legislators over the popular social media app's ties to its Chinese parent company, ByteDance, as well as the app's effects on children. There's growing pressure in the U.S., both within the U.S. Congress and in the Biden administration, to ban TikTok from U.S. territory about data security, particularly as tensions between the U.S. and China go. Now, some say Chu did uh, did a great job defending Mm. himself and his app in a largely hostile uh, room. How do you think CEO Xu Chu Z performed last night? Well, there's certainly a lot to chew on going by what we have to digest. I am looking at a lot of reports that say he did not do a fantastic job. Uh, Bear in mind that this was a very tough job having to deal with so many US policymakers and on both sides of the fence. It is a bipartisan kind of thing where everyone's on the anti-China bandwagon. So the whole thing was around how TikTok apparently was linked to is linked to China and has the potential to spy on Americans. So as you imagine, this stirs up a lot of rhetoric, a lot of anti-China sentiment. And a lot of lawmakers are using it as part of their own political gains as well. So that is what's riding against the TikTok CEO, Sho Chu. So he did not do himself any favours with some of the answers he gave. Among them was how some of the lawmakers asked if Chinese employees, including engineers, have access to U.S. user data. So they were hoping for a yes and no answer. Mm. They did not get one. So he replied, this is a complex subject. And then, of course, you can imagine the type of reaction to that because he didn't rule it out. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He left it hanging in the air. So that just painted a lot of doubt over his entire testimony because he could not categorically um, just rule it out. And another one is how he was asked um, whether he sees TikTok as a Chinese company. And he says, I've seen no evidence 
when he was asked whether ByteDance employees access U.S. user data. So it's this type of, I guess, messaging that did not really convince the policymakers. So it is just going to give them more ammo to push for that ban in the U.S. Also touted as a disaster moment when he said he doesn't let his 13-year-olds barely use the app themselves. Now, prior to Chu's testimony, China's Commerce Ministry issued a statement indicating Beijing is opposed to a forced sale of TikTok. It said any sale to a U.S. entity would have to be approved by Beijing. Understandable. This seemed to undermine Chu's stance, though, that TikTok is independent of China. Now, in the meantime, we talked quite a bit earlier about how TikTok CEO Chu Shuzi is Singaporean. What else do we know about him? Yeah, so he turned out to be a Facebook intern and just went up the ranks. And among the jobs he previously did was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs in the UK. That Facebook internship was in the US and he joined a venture cap firm called DST Global, which was founded by another billionaire uh, Silicon Valley investor, Yuri Milner. So he has been in the tech industry, in the investment scene for quite some time. And of course, um, he is a Singaporean. So he spent a lot of time here and then he went on to Harvard Business School where he met his wife. So that's the personal side of things for Chu. Quite a rise, 39-year-old from Facebook intern to TikTok CEO with the help of Harvard along the way, of course. If you want to find out his TikTok account, it's at show.time. Showtime! I bet that's blowing up. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen what he offers on his videos? Not yet. I imagine it's a typical stuff you might eat for lunch. It's sort of daily life stuff. (laughs) I'm looking at this one. Nashville fish and chips or something. Yeah, yeah. It would be about food. Right, he's Singaporean. All right, analysts say it is unlikely the U.S. will ban TikTok from U.S. soil before next year's election, still about 20 months away, with some 150 million monthly users. Banning TikTok could be a sure way to alienate, if you think about it, quite a substantial block of voters, particularly the young ones. Did you have a thought on that? Yeah, I have to stress also who was in the courtroom. Heaps of influencers. Some of them paid by TikTok to be there. So this is going to affect their livelihood. So as you pointed out, it is going to affect a lot of Americans. So it's a tough one. Is this going to win popular support from many of these voters who will be voting for these policymakers? So where do they sit on this fence? Mm-hmm. For these voters or for the anti-China crowd? Interesting point. Interesting point and visual as well with them being um, part of the room. But could TikTok be used for a massive campaign for disinformation that could sway the elections as well? That's the issue at at the heart of things as well. So still very early, uh, if the US does actually ban TikTok, look for Beijing to possibly retaliate. Tesla, Apple and other American companies all have substantial operations in China as well. Any final words on how you think this could play out? (laughs) It's going to take a long time. That's how I imagine it's going to be. It's a complex issue, Ryan. (laughs) No yes or no from me. (laughs) All right. Let's turn to the markets now. It was another dizzying day on Wall Street as investors try to assess the fallout from the banking sector crisis and the Fed's interest rate hike this week. The Nasdaq closed at 1%, though. The S&P 500 gave back most of its early gains, but still finished up 0.3%. So I promise you some banking news. So here we go. I'm going to start with Switzerland. 
which has been facing scrutiny over the way in which it is bailing out Credit Suisse in its shotgun marriage with UBS. More specifically, we've talked about how the Swiss government is prioritizing equity investors over bondholders in a move that seems to upend the normal hierarchy, while Swiss regulators have come out to defend that controversial decision. What did they say? Yeah, it was all about the AT1 bonds or the additional tier 1 bonds. And of course, these bondholders are faced with the entire pile of them being worthless. So up in arms, protesting, and regulators say, hey, this is what you sign up for. So this is all part of the fine print. They legally were able to write it off despite conventional standards how bondholders would be typically ahead of equity shareholders. So they saw everything go up in smoke because of the fine print. One of the terms was how when you have a viability event, the regulators can instruct these things to happen for creditors to write down the entire worth of the AT1 bonds. And these were bonds that were designed to actually pass on some of the burden and the risk to bondholders. So it's part and parcel of the returns that you expect, the higher premiums typically for all these 81 bonds. So they sign up for it and they have to, well, pay for it in a sense. So if you look at a statement, as Credit Suisse received extraordinary liquidity, liquidity assistance loans mm-hmm. secured by a federal default guarantee on 19th of March, it thus qualifies for a viability event which fulfills the contractual conditions met for the AT1 instruments. Essentially, this was all in the fine print of the contract. Quite a get-out-of-jail card, wouldn't you say? There's more bad news for Swiss banks this morning, though. Both Credit Suisse and UBS are facing a new probe by the U.S. Department of Justice. What is the cause and what is this about? Yeah, it has to do with... The Russians, or at least the rich Russians, so Credit Suisse and UBS under scrutiny for whether they helped some of these Russian oligarchs evade sanctions. As you imagine, Swiss banks typically, you would get a lot of rich guys from everywhere. I'm sure Russians were in the mix. So now they are looking at the accounts a bit more closely to see if they were, in some fashion, um, going around some of these sanctions by helping some of these Russians move their money. And the DOJ is trying to identify which bank employees may have dealt with some of these sanctioned clients and how some of these clients were vetted over the past few years. So we'll see if anyone is going to be named in the coming well, investigation. All right. It is now time for Up or Down, Ryan. Let's kick it off with movie theatre stocks, things like IMAX and AMC. All right. They are looking up because of Apple. Apple is spending big, or it is planning to, mm-hmm. $1 billion to make movies at the cinemas. So this is a big push for it to just make a name for itself in entertainment. And when you think about Apple, you think about iPhones, devices like iPads. Now it's trying to get a bigger name for itself here, partly because I think it wants to sell more services, the Apple TV stuff. So maybe this is go, will go some way to creating a bigger ecosystem for Apple. 
So good news for cinema. Cinema stocks like IMAX and AMC are up on the back of that news. Apple to spend one billion US dollars a year on new theatrical releases. Apple wants to make good with the Hollywood crowd as well. Apparently, let's look at Ford Motors. All right, Ford is going to be an up for me. So this is with a plan that they've just outlined to turn a profit on electric vehicles in under four years. Yeah, it's going to be... uh, Did you say an up for you? Up for me, yep. They are laying out a plan. Right now, the EV division is making losses Mm -hmm. and they predict you could lose as much as $3 billion this year. But the good news is they have a plan in place to turn around by 2026. Okay, so it's a glass half full, glass half empty day today for Ford Motors and uh, Ryan and myself. I think Ford has split out its profit loss statements by industry segment instead of geography for the first time. And if you look at that, uh, you'll see that, yes, the EV business is losing money. To what extent? So let's look at that. Lost $2 billion US dollars last year. So in my book, that's a down for Ford. Let's look at Toshiba. Okay, Toshiba is an up for me and this is with someone putting $15 billion as part of a buyout bid. So this is from a Japanese consortium Mm -hmm. and Toshiba could be in new ownership if this gets accepted. The offer is about a 9.7% premium to its last closing price. All right, so Toshiba shares are up, but this is a down for the 140-year-old Japanese icon. Let's look at Singapore's Jubilee Industries. All right, Jubilee Jubilee. is seeing some heavy trading in the past day, and its stock rose as much as 28%, and it looks like this is on news that it may sell its electronics business unit. Yes, indeed. That's called We Components. It will make about 16 million US dollars from the sale, which it intends to return to shareholders. So that is an up for Jubilee. All right, before I let you go, our last story today is about shopping and specifically using augmented reality to try on clothes. I don't know if you've used AR uh, on Snapchat. I don't even know if you're on Snapchat, Ryan, but have you used AR maybe to wear some funny glasses or yeah. a weird hat. That's one of the fun things to do. You know? Put on those filters and then just transform the entire picture. I'm terrified that I won't be able to get those glasses or horns <laughs> off. <laughs> it is quite fun. So you can imagine the potential, right? It makes things virtually possible. Yeah, well, Snap is offering this image filtering technology to shoppers. I think that's quite um, brilliant because one of the pains in life in my book is trying on clothes. What do you think? Yeah, so now I can try on some dresses I've been looking at. So (laughs) who knows where this could go? I'm glad we have that on tape and can repeat that and play that for him over and over. Thank you so much, Ryan Huang. Off for his long break. When will you When will you be back? Yeah, in about two weeks' time. Yeah, of course, uh, Willie King, founder of Dividend Titan, is going to be well placed to share with you his wisdom. Yeah, and much more. Willie's and Willie's here right now. Jokes. Let's get Willie uh, on. Willie, are you prepared to come to the studio with some great puns? <laughs> got big shoes to fill. I am not an expert in puns. I mean, <laughs> Ryan's the emperor of puns for me. All right, you've got two kids, so I'm sure you've got dad jokes for plenty. <laughs> All right, dad jokes from Willie. Yeah? yeah. Hopefully, I can come with something about dad jokes. <laughs> uh, so, are you going? Where are you going, Ryan? Oh yeah, so I'm going to Hokkaido with the family. So it's one of those colder places right now. So not very different from a studio. 
<laughs> exchange rate's great, yeah. To be so going yeah, to it's Japan a now. great time. Um, so <laughs> that gives you an idea, maybe where you can go for your own break, Michelle. When is that happening? Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. But let me know how Japan goes. It's one of my favorite places. One of my favorite things to do in Japan is to visit an onsen. Yes, that is on the to-do list. Oh, good for you. Well, have a great break, and Willie, we look forward Thank to chatting you. with you tomorrow. As always, Michelle. Next Monday, I mean. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.